Would you stand with me if you're able to give honor to God's holy word? The scripture this morning may be familiar to you. I hope it will be new again as we read it today. This is John 3.16. Let's do it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Christ is risen. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Sacramento, and we're so grateful that you could be with us this morning, whether you're joining us online or you're here uh, with us on the premises. And I've never, I mean, it's like uh, to navigate the stage up here, there's so much going on. And I just want you to imagine uh, how, how many people it's taking to create what's happening on stage and know there's that many people making the tech happen and that many people making the setup happen. And all of uh, the folks who are contributing to this worship service uh, this morning, we're grateful uh, for you. And thanks for leading us in worship in that way. It's a beautiful day. John 3.16. Uh, you've probably seen that someplace. Maybe uh, you don't even know what that means or wouldn't be able to quote it, but you're familiar with that phrase, John 3.16. Maybe you were watching football on a Sunday and saw somebody in a crazy wig behind the goalpost holding up a sign that says John 3.16. Or maybe uh, you saw it written in marker on the eye black underneath the eye of an athlete as they zoomed in the camera and thought, oh, John 3.16. Maybe Maybe you've seen it printed ever so discreetly on the bottom of the soda cup at In-N-Out Burger, or seen it written in chalk or sometimes in spray paint on the street or on a wall or on the back of a stop sign. Or maybe, maybe you're more familiar with the ways that this famous verse has been ridiculed or defamed. Maybe a, a t-shirt celebrating a professional wrestler that says Austin 316. Or a professional basketball player claiming to be king of the, of the court with a shirt that says LeBron 316. <laughs> However you come across it, my guess is uh, whether or not you could quote John 3.16, it's still something that's in the ethos and in the culture around us that that is something that sounds familiar. You've heard of it. John 3.16, you could probably guess whether you are a Christian or have ever been in a church before, you could probably guess that it's something important to people who call themselves Christians. When we first got Wi-Fi in this building... The technician came in, I was the only one here, he worked for a while, and then he proudly invited me into the office and announced that he had created a password that would be easy to remember. 
And I don't, know, uh, I don't know if he was just taking his best crack at something that sounded churchy, but he said, your new password is blessed316. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> and for the record, that's still the password for the guest Wi-Fi. But I'm watching, everybody's pulling out their phone. <laughs> What's the story of John 3.16? What does it mean? And why should you care? Well, what's the story? Well, first of all, I need to say Easter is a, f- it's a really fun and it's a really funny Sunday to be a pastor. First of all, I'm, I see a bunch of people that I see all the time, except that they're like dressed up and showered and wearing vests and look real fancy and smell better than usual. You guys look really nice. (laughs) And you see a bunch of people that you haven't seen in a long time. People who have been away at school or out of town or for some reason uh, haven't been around and they're back for Easter. Maybe folks that you haven't seen since Christmas who have been away. And I want to say to you, welcome back. You were missed. And sometimes uh, you meet family members uh, who are here, particularly on Easter, a day like today, you meet folks who are here, and you're not necessarily here because you would choose to be here, but you're here because mom wants to be here, and you love mom, and so you're here to love on mom, and I think that's a good thing. Maybe you're here because somebody else is buying brunch after this, if you come along And uh, however you decided to come here today, I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And who knows, maybe God is going to do something in your life today that you didn't expect. I certainly don't believe that you're here by mistake. Maybe you're truly intrigued. Maybe not, but maybe you are with the idea, with the, with the claims of Christianity, with who this guy, Jesus Christ, is. Maybe you really have some questions about Jesus, but there's never really a good time to come to church. There's always something important happening on a Sunday morning, or maybe you feel like your friends, your family, the people who are important to you wouldn't understand, or maybe would even ridicule you if they found out that you were trying to find Jesus. But you thought, mom wants me to go on Easter, or maybe you thought everybody who goes to church ever goes on Easter, so maybe that's a safe day to go. Maybe it's a safe time to show up and not let anyone else know, and you can play it off, but not let anyone else know how actually interested or maybe even desperate you are to get some questions answered about God and about his love and about reality. Well, that's pretty much the story behind John 3.16. It actually comes right in the middle of a chapter in the Gospel of John uh, in a very interesting conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. And it's a conversation that happened in the middle of the night. And it happened in the middle of the night because, you see, Nicodemus was a, a Jewish ruler. He was a leader of the Jewish people. And Jesus at that time was like public nuisance number one for Jewish leaders. And so uh, Nicodemus had a lot of questions. He had things that he wanted to know. He he needed to know for himself if the things he was hearing about Jesus were true. He needed to know if 
God really was with this guy, or maybe even something more. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And yet, uh, he feels like he just has too much to risk to show up or to be seen or to have people know that he's interested. And so he comes in the middle of the night to Jesus so that he doesn't lose face. Maybe that's you today. We're glad that you're here. And in that conversation, Jesus says a bunch of really interesting stuff, other stuff that you may have maybe have heard floating around in Christianese, like being born again, and I am the light of the world, and stuff like that. Um, but he, he says so many interesting things to Nicodemus in this meeting that I always imagine has looked like something like that scene in the TV show where they have to meet in the vacant parking garage so that nobody will be, you know, be the wiser. And in this sort of clandestine meeting, in the middle of that conversation, it's almost as if Nicodemus said, okay, boil it down for me. Explain it in one sentence. Who are you and why are you here? And Jesus, it almost feels like, steps back into the third person and is able to take a look uh, not just uh, at his mission and his identity, but it but also his entire life, including that he's going to die on a cross and someday raise, arise from the dead. And he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. He didn't say that part. What does it mean? It says, God so loved the world. And that's interesting because it could mean a couple of different things, the way that it's written in the Greek and considering that it's Jesus saying it, I always assume that it probably does mean a couple of different things, more than you think, maybe. First of all, it says, God so loved the world. And that means God loves you. God loves you. Contrary to, what your little, what, contrary to what your brother told you when you were little, contrary to the circumstances that you find yourself in that might make God feel far off or really close or the emotion that you're feeling right now, contrary to what you have, what you have done that makes you think maybe you're unloved, God loves you. We can read the so in that word. It says, God so loved the world. And we can read that as a, as a quantity or a degree of God's love for you. If I ask Pastor Daniel, Daniel, do you love the Dodgers? He'll say, I so love the Dodgers. This says that God so loves the world. And the Greek word for world that it uses there is where we get our word for, our word for cosmos. God loves his creation. Uh, we, we can hear in this echoes of, the, of God's love for all that he has made. And the story of creation says that he separated light from darkness. And he said, it's, it's good. He said he made plants and he made animals. And he looked at them and he said, that's really good. And then it says uh, that he made you and me. He made humanity in his image. Male and female, he created them, and it says it was very 
good. He thought that was very good. You are the spitting image of your Father in heaven. He created you for himself, for his own glory, and to be in relationship with you. God so loves you. But that word, that cosmos word, the word for the world, um, it also often has a negative connotation in the scripture. Um, like when you hear about a young mother who's fretting about her new baby and she's not, they say, she's not ready for her baby to go out into the world, right? Because the world is a dangerous place. Because people prey on each other in the world. Because the systems of the world are unjust. Dreams don't always come true. Um, to put it in more biblical terms... The world is rebelling against God. The world is rejecting God. And you and I are a part of that. Uh, we are each a part of that in some sort of way. We prey on each other. We take advantage of people. Um, we do things and then blame it on the system. We have rejected God. And maybe you've never thought about it that way or wouldn't say it that way, but we all want things our own way, not his way or somebody else's way. We want it our way. To quote an old 80s song at great cost to my reputation, we are the world. <laughs> and John 3.16 says that that is the world that God loves. This broken, rebellious, destructive, this thing that we've made it. God so loved the world. How can that be so? John 3.16 says, it says that Jesus said, <clears throat> God so loved that rebellious world. But it actually, you could, you could translate it a different way and put it like this. God loved that rebellious world like so. He gave his only son. This is the way that God demonstrated that he loves you. And that he, he loves you even while you are or were rejecting him. In the midst of our rebellion against him, God gave Jesus his son. He didn't stay far away to judge and condemn. He came to be with us in the world. And when you're tempted to believe that nobody understands what it's like to be me, this is telling us Jesus understands what it's like to be human in the world. God gave his only son so that you don't have to do this alone and so that you could know what God is like. God put himself on display in the person of Jesus in the midst of the world. Back to, the fretting mother, back to the fretting mother. You know, her baby isn't ready to go into the world. Why? Because she's afraid that the world will somehow destroy or corrupt her little one. She knows that the world gobbles up dreams and steals innocence sometimes. It leaves you, uh, you can be out in the world and you can be left with nothing but consequences of what you've done. 
But God loved that destructive world like so. He gave his only son. This is the way that God demonstrates that he loves you. He gave his son Jesus, and Jesus was destroyed by the world. He took your place, the, the place that your mother is fearful of for you. He is God's answer to your mother's fears. She, no doubt, was the first to realize that you are a little sinner. And part of that fear about you going out in the world is that she's afraid that you're going to get what you deserve. But this says God gave his son to get what you deserve. Christ's death on the cross for you. So why should you care? Well, I'm going to reiterate something that Daniel said earlier. I'm going to tell you right now. When we say amen in this room and open the back door and walk out that way, and there's going to be tri-tip and ribs and pulled pork and fried chicken and teriyaki chicken and some real good salad. All kinds of other good stuff. But it doesn't matter if that's true if you don't believe it. And you walk out this other door and get in your car and go home and warm up some leftovers. It will make no difference in your life whether or not that is true if you don't believe it. John 3.16 says that God demonstrated his love for you the fact that he gave his only son to die in your place. But it doesn't matter if it's true, if you don't believe it. Jesus' life and his death, the resurrection that we celebrate today, do not force us to believe anything. But the passage says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. He created you in his image to know him and to be known by him. God loves you in spite of everything that has happened to you and in spite of everything that you have done. And he knows you and what has happened. He gave his only son for you. It's true. But it doesn't matter if you don't believe it. You can go on living however you want. You can. Believing whatever you want. Suit yourself. Serve yourself. And receive whatever kind of consequences or reward that that brings. And John 3.16 says that those consequences, uh, the, the word that it uses, it says the, those kind of consequences is what it calls perishing, being used up by the world, being depleted by your separation from God who loves you, being uh, given and reaping the consequences of your action. It says, perish. When my daughter Flannery was a toddler, 
Her Sunday school teacher was a favorite person, Miss Janet. The story goes that Miss Janet did not grow up in a Christian home. She grew up in a really religious home, a different religion. Uh, but she left her parents' religion when she fell in love with the man who would become her husband, and he did not believe. So they agreed together that they would raise their kids with strong moral and ethical standards, but that they weren't going to be a part of any church. Janet tells the story, she says, 15 or 16 years later, her daughter Jenny had begun to go to a youth group with a friend in town and came home one night and said something that jarred Miss Janet. Jenny, she says, Jenny walked into the room and she said, Mom, I'm worried about you. Janet said, Honey, why would you be worried about me? And she said, Well, I love you so much, but I'm not sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven. And Janet says, I got all of my feathers puffed up, and I got indignant, and I said, why? And I started explaining to her all of the wonderful things that I had done, the people that I had helped, the honorable life that I had lived, the wonderful and civically-minded children that I had raised. And her teenage daughter said something like this. She said, Mom, it's not about what you do. You'll never do enough. It's about whether or not you believe. And I don't know if you know Jesus. Janet said she blubbered a little bit in that moment, not talking about she knew who Jesus was and that sort of thing. And her husband, who was next to her, the guy that she left religion for, said, sweetheart, sounds like you need to figure out what you believe. And Janet said, I said to him, you watch me. <laughs> and so her daughter gave her a Bible. And beginning that day, she went on a three-year quest to try to figure out who Jesus was. And she sent me a picture this week of the inscription that her 16-year-old daughter had written in the Bible that she gave her mom. It says, to my beautiful mother, thank you for all the love that you've given me. I pray that the truth, joy, and hope found in these pages will lead you into his arms for eternity. All my love, always. John 3.16 says that those who believe will have eternal life. And I'm not sure that we can really understand what that means. A lot of times it's not, when we hear eternal, we just think that's forever going on and on. But I think it's better than life just endlessly going on in, in time because eternal has something to do with God. And when the Bible talks about God, he exists outside the parameters of time. Remember, uh, in the beginning, he made time. So eternal is something more than that. And in the, and in the scripture, we, we find that he exists outside the parameters that we understand as life and death. And that's what we celebrate today, that Christ died as we understand it and rose again. We're celebrating the fact that he's the first proof, that resurrection is the first proof that this is true. 
We don't, we don't quite understand what eternal life is, but we know that God gave his son and Jesus' resurrection is the first example of whatever eternal life with God uh, is and what it will look like. And it's good. It's remade. It's death proof. And it's what we were made for. It's a life that Miss Janet discovered 26 years ago because of the love and the witness of her daughter. And again, I don't know why you're here. God knows why you're here or how, or, or how you've come. But let me share with you to close today some really good advice. Sweetheart, you need to figure out what you believe. Now, the Bible isn't explicit about what happened for Nicodemus, but it sure makes it seem by the rest of the book that something in his life changed forever too. Maybe that's today. Maybe today is the beginning of a, of a pursuit of that truth. Uh, but I, I uh, implore you, figure out what you believe and you need to answer the question, who is Jesus? What is this thing about God giving him for you to give you eternal life. Let me pray. Lord, we celebrate today that it's true. Um, the scriptures tell us that it's true. Uh, the, the lives and the witness of the apostles tell us that it's true. Lord, the history of the church and uh, the reoccurring story of people like Miss Janet tell us that it's true. But it doesn't matter if we don't believe it. And so, Lord, I pray for each friend uh, in this place, each child who has sung about Jesus, each uh, young adult uh, who has come and heard, each adult uh, who comes every week or has returned to worship for the first time in a long time. Lord, be so gracious as uh, to convict our hearts and, uh, and, and to be relentless. Don't leave us alone until uh, we deal with who Jesus is and what manner of love is this, that God would love us so much that he would give us his son and that whoever would believe in him should have eternal life. Amen.